The Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations. Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up. No matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep. Go for Max. If women and children have to live in impossible conditions, if you have to die due to someone else's damn decisions, rise up. All right, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on this Wednesday evening. It is September the 12th, 2018, as we broadcast to you from the Black Talk Radio Network. We seem to be having some technical issues as I cannot hear uh, Max. Max, you are unmuted. Max, check your uh, computers. Mute. You are unmuted here on the board. I'm going to mute you now. Now I'm going to unmute you. Okay. Hello? Yeah, go for Max. Can you hear me now? Uh, yes, I hear I hear you over a second line over the eight hundred three line. Yeah, that's that's me on the phone. I'm not on the uh, board today. I'm on the telephone. Okay, my bad. Do we want to get that one more try? <laughs> All right, no doubt. Peace and welcome to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and freaking agitate on the issue of twenty first century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas and Black Talk Media Project founder Scotty Reed. On this program, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking, 
as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat it. Today is the September 12, 2018 live broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, and the international prison strike to end modern-day slavery has successfully run its course, but Hurricane Florence has not. Tonight, we welcome special guest Leron Burton. He is a writer from Kansas City, Missouri, currently living in San Francisco, California, a graduate of Paseo Academy of Fine Arts and the author of two books, Straight Dope, A 360-Degree Look into the American Drug Culture, and All We Really Need is Love, Stories of Dating, Relationships, Heartbreak, and Marriage. In addition to the books, Leron is an essayist whose topics cover racism, mass incarceration, politics, gender, and dating. These works have appeared in Salon, The Good Men Project, Elephant Journal, East Bay Times, and MOAD. Leron also gives talks at speeches such as TEDx in Wilson Park, University of San Francisco, Glide Methodist Church, and he has been a guest of Al Jazeera's The Stream, Story Corp. Dr. Vibes, Do You Know What Time It Is podcast, and has participated in panel discussions on race and prison recidivism. In his spare time, Leron mentors young men in San Francisco and loves to backpack around the world. You can find him at LeronBarton.com. That's LeronBarton.com. This is part three of our Must Hear podcast in a four-week series discussing the various narratives vying for control during the 2018 prison strike. Tonight, we'll focus on criminal justice reform. On this day, or near this day in history, never forget September 11th. September 11th, 1861, when President Lincoln ordered John C. Fremont to rescind his order, freeing some slaves in Missouri, and issue a new order conforming to the Compensation Act passed by Congress. Lincoln was the great betrayer and did so over and over. The real reason that prisoners are called state property is because of this, quote, unquote. With respect to slaves, the act authorized court proceedings to strip their owners of any claim to them, but did not clarify whether the slaves were free. As a result of his, this ambiguity, these slaves came under union lines as property in the care of U.S. government. In response to this situation, General David Hunter, the Union Army Military Commander of Georgia, South Carolina, and Florida, issued General Order Number 11, freeing all slaves in areas under his command. Upon hearing of Hunter's action one week later, Lincoln immediately countermanded the order, thus returning the slaves to their former status as property in the care of the federal government. In direct news today, The Right to Vote campaign needs your support. It's a national campaign being initiated by people currently confined in the United States. This campaign grew out of the August 21st national prison strike demand, specifically point number 10. The voting rights of all confined citizens serving prison sentences, pretrial detainees, and so-called ex-felons must be counted. Representation is demanded. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Willis Augustus Hodges, 1850 to 1890, the publisher of the weekly newspaper, The Ram's Horn, and an Underground Railroad agent, a rare black abolitionist living in a slave state. Our writers of the 21st Century Underground Railroad today are Anthony Jakes and Robert Butoh. They spent 45 years in prison combined, 
serving their full sentences before being paroled. Their cases are just the latest examples of a slew of wrongful convictions costing taxpayers millions of dollars in settlements, and it's just the tip of the iceberg. As always, we have a little time and a lot to cover. Be sure to follow the information we provide on our Facebook page at New Abolitionist Radio so you can see the information in real time as we talk about the issues. And remember to support our efforts by joining us as a member at community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. We need your help and support to continue. You'll find the links for today's program on our abolitionist planning page, which is available to the BTR community members. If you've got a question or a comment, you can call us at 704-802-5056, and you can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash Network. Once again, I'm Max Parthas. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Sorry for the delay there. Good evening to you, Max, and all the listeners. It has been a hell of a week, man, you know, uh, with the strike coming to a conclusion. And, you know, I participated here in South Carolina um, in the the finale of that, and that was pretty awesome. Yeah, I gave an interview earlier on Tanya Free and Friends, which is uh, broadcasting on terrestrial radio station uh, there, a Christian station. I don't know the call letters, sorry, because they uh, changed stations here recently. But they invited me on. Uh, Also, it was done by video, so it was broadcasting online as well uh, through their Ustream channel. But, um, you know, they invited me uh, today, and I didn't answer one of Tanya's questions. She said, you know, what, what, what happened as a result of the strikes? And I never really... You know, uh, I heard the question, but I didn't answer the question, so I apologize. And the only, if you want to put it in a small battle victory column that I saw happen was the state of Texas lowering the rate uh, that they charge or allow those companies to charge for the phone calls. That's the only victory I saw in terms of in terms of morale, in terms of uh, long-term strategic um, um, the information wars oh it was a great battle one when the international community is recognizing the 13th amendment and and connecting that to the prisoner strike which is the end slavery yes I actually listened to that earlier today Scotty and a job well done I only have uh, just a little bit of criticism like you told me a few weeks ago, I want to correct you with love. You said that 50 states have some form of the 13th Amendment in their state constitution, but that's not how it is. It's actually only two dozen states that have varying forms of exceptions for slave labor. So the other uh, remaining nearly uh, 26 or 28 states, whatever it may be, uh, they, have, they basically rely on the 13th Amendment to dictate what they do in their prisons. Some states, at least two, but three, I'm pretty sure, did not even ratify the 13th. So you got like two to three that never ratified the 13th Amendment and only ratified the Fourth Reconstruction Act in lieu of that, like South Carolina. And then you got two dozen who made up exception clause like Vermont and uh, Georgia, where Georgia says you can become a slave because of contempt of court. So, you know, they have these varying things, and then the remainder, remaining states 
don't have anything. They just rely on the 13th Amendment. Yeah, so correction is accepted, but for the sake of time, sometimes we had to be brief. And so my point was is that through some form or fashion, uh, these states and their constitution have legalized slavery and involuntary servitude, like North Carolina abolished yes. slavery, point blank. But they put the exception in another section for involuntary servitude. So now we're going to be uh, debating about the definition of involuntary servitude and if it amounts to slavery. And and so, but that was my point, man. You know, uh, uh, only a few, but in the majority of them, um, they practice in slavery and human trafficking in some form or fashion. Even if it's not in their constitution, they got private prisons and they're accepting prisoners from other states. So, you know, they all doing it. Yeah, uh, nearly a third, uh, just a little over a quarter of the states that have these exception clauses are actively trying to take them out now, which is a wonderful thing, man. Yes, it is. As I mentioned, Colorado Amendment A again, I uh, mentioned that uh, today. But, um, yeah, but I'm looking forward, actually, to talking to Mr. Barton and hearing some of the things that um, he has to say in our series on prison slavery and, um, you know, uh, the reform and the other categories that uh, labels that people wear, um, but any or have been given to them, I should say. Um, so, but, you know, I first interviewed him that first book you read, uh, you know, Straight Dope, 360 Degree, uh, I don't remember the exact title. That's That's been out for some years, and I interviewed him about that book, and I've also uh, interviewed him about articles he's written about racism over the years uh, that appeared either on his website or um, uh, the other one that you mentioned. So looking looking forward to hearing you two uh, dialogue, and, and, you know, I don't want to give away the show, but, you know, there are some things we discussed offline, um, so we'll get into those later in the program, but also... You know, very important to document history, and I'm thinking in pictures now. When I say pictures, I, I'm starting to adopt the mindset of thinking in moving pictures. I'm talking about documentaries on film, and what you read about Lincoln. <clears throat> Man, if anybody has has had a complete do-over, you know, uh, to hide many of their actions, uh, you know, in a historical sense, is Abraham Lincoln, man. I mean, really, you know, and I recall reading and reporting on New Abolitionist Radio in the past six years at some point um, about field commanders releasing victims of slavery and then Lincoln uh, rescinding, you know, their orders to release these people and turn them right back over to slavers, you know, uh, wanted to keep um, victims of slavery and black citizens free, mostly men, but, uh, you know, keep them from even entering into the war to make it so, oh, no, this is really about keeping the union together. It wasn't in the beginning about ending no slavery. And, and that's just a great law lie that uh, has been programmed into people via the movie pictures. So um, that's why the Black Talk Media Project's moving to the area of documentaries. And, you know, again, if people join the social media platform just $24 a year, uh, we'll probably roll out some individual funding opportunities for individual documentaries. But, you know, that's what New Abolitionist Radio has meant to me over the years. It's, I'm going to archives and listen to the information, the historical 
as it was happening and then predictions as well, man. I, I'll tell you, man, could come up with a lot of ideas to do documentaries on. So, again, I always appreciate how you dig up them hi historical facts, Max. Well, thank you, Scotty. I would just like to take a couple of moments uh, to thank everybody who was involved with the prison strike to end prison slavery 2018 from the organizers to the people who shared information, the people that published interviews that did all kinds of information on it that came to the events that made noise at the prisons. You all know who you are, and especially the people who were behind bars and risked their life, their limbs, and their freedoms to get these things done. I just want to say thank you to you all. I'm not sure we're going to see uh, all of the results of this until maybe in the next three to six months things will start to unfold to determine the true success and true participation of this humongous uh, movement to end slavery. And I'd also like to share a quick story. Well, um, Max, before you read your quick story, just one quick point to your point. And this is just, you know, like you mentioned, constructive criticism in the name of love and progress. Uh, Got to progress and tighten up our messaging. Um, but I really wish that um, a demand among the prisoners demand in their official press release would have been the congressional hearings because that's being worked on behind the scenes. Congressional hearings on the 13th Amendment. So that would have just added to, you know, the pressure that's being applied behind the scenes. But let's let's, you know, continue to believe that those are going to happen on a projected timeline. I hope so, and I remember that was number two in our list of things that we want to accomplish through the IMWE Prison Advocacy Network in 2017. I don't think that those goals have changed just yet, but you're right. I wish we would focus on that more. I just want to share this quick story, and then I want to bring in our guests, because, you know, um, last Saturday I was here as part of the abolitionist contingent in South Carolina where we went to the state capitol, and uh, we did what we had to do. And uh, there was this two cops were there. One was on a bicycle and one was a beat cop. And I wanted to show an example to the people that were there. So it was about eight to a dozen of us all underneath a tree getting some shade. And I called the cop over and I asked him, did he, uh, has he ever read the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution? And he said, yes. I said, well, what does it say? And he says, uh, I don't know it by memory that well. I said, well, what do you think about it? And he says, hold on. And pulled out his freaking phone. And this was a black cop, by the way pulled out his phone so he could Google the 13th Amendment to see what it says because he did not know. And everybody looked at him like he was stupid. And then about 15 or 20 minutes later, the guy on the bike came by and I called him over. And let me tell you, Scotty, every question got answered the same exact way as the first guy. And when he was ready to reach for that phone, I was like, no, don't even look, dude. Just understand that you're supposed to be protecting our rights. And I have no idea how you can do that if you don't know them. Try that on people that on um, police that you see out there, you know, at these events. Ask them, because most time you'll find they don't even know what the rights are that they're being paid to protect. That's all I want to say, Scotty. Well, small correction there. Well, no, it's actually a big correction there, Max. Supreme Court ruled that when the police argued that, hey, we're not responsible for this woman who had a domestic violence protective order. Uh, she called us all she wanted to. We have no responsibility, no nothing to uh, compel us or force us to uh, protect and serve her. And they won. And the Supreme Court ruled 
that their job is to enforce the law. And I've said this before on past programs, their, their number one directive, um, you know, for you Trekkie fans out there, the number one directive is to enforce the 13th. All right, Scotty. Well, yeah, we, I mean, we could talk about it later, but I don't want to lose any more time. And let's go ahead and bring our guests in tonight. I'm excited like you are because we've got someone who knows about criminal justice reform and has participated in that, as well as knowing okay. you and myself the course of several years now. And it, it, his thought process that he was talking about with me earlier is pretty amazing. I'm looking forward to hearing all of this. Uh, it's Leron, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly, Leron Barton. And in addition to the books that he's published, like I said before, he recently gave talks at TEDx in Wilson Park, and he spoke in uh, the University of San Francisco. And, you know, he has written extensively on things like mass incarceration and racism and politics. So I'm looking forward to it. Without any further ado, uh, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, Brother Liron. You're on the phone, and you're unable to talk. Just press star, star to unmute yourself. Um, yeah, Max. Uh, he's not on the board. I thought you was aware of that. I thought you were, you know, but um, no. Was I supposed to call him, or is he supposed no, to call in? call in. Just talk to him about 20 minutes or half an hour or so. Okay. He well, he's not, He, I guess, not here yet. So, I guess while we're waiting on him, I mean, let's revisit that. Again, the Supreme Court said that's not the... Um, the uh, police do not take a duty or oath to protect and serve. They are law enforcers. That's what law enforcement means. That's what it's saying. We enforce the law. It, they, they don't debate the morality of the law or what they should or should not do. It's to enforce the law. And that's including those laws that funnel people like they did in the past, the black codes funneled people into convict leasing. And and today, you know, the codes that funnel people into modern-day prison uh, plantations and detention centers. I feel you on that, Scotty. And, you know, we're a nation of laws, and they call this uh, uh, the, the supreme law of the land is the Constitution. That's the supreme law that supersedes other, any other laws. As a matter of fact, any other laws you right have to fit within the Constitution or they don't apply. Normally that's how it's supposed to work. I just sent uh, Liron a, a message hopefully that he'll call in uh, Yeah, soon. so I while we're waiting on him um, if we have any callers that's on the board, again our number is 704-802-5056 hit star star to unmute yourself. Unmute yourself and share with us your observation during the uh, prison strike, which officially concluded on September the 9th, uh, but some prisoners are still striking. Otis, did you want to chime in? Thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio, joining us from the Virginia area, which is in the path of uh, Hurricane Florence. Yes, good evening, gentlemen, my comrades. Good evening. I just wanted to throw something out there that I thought I had shared uh, on social media and BTR, but then I realized I hadn't. I put it in my to-read list. The interesting thing I found about this strike, aside from us talking about black-targeted websites and and, uh, media outlets not covering the strike, 
I found it interesting that I, I found an article I posted it in the chat room from Huffington Post that when they talked to the congressman, our current congressman, I'm going to read a short snippet. House Judiciary Committee Chairman Bob Goodlett, out of Republican from Virginia, and and the top Republicans on the subcommittee that directly oversees prisons, Representative Jim Jim Sensenbrenner from Wisconsin, Louis Gomer from Texas, said they hadn't heard anything about the protest, as did the top Democrat on the subcommittee, Representative Sheila Jackson Lee out of Texas. If you check out that article, you'll find out that they said they had no idea the largest prison strike in the world was going on. I found that atrocious. And a couple of the people that they contacted and that uh, other congressmen wouldn't even respond to their request. You know, right now, Otis, there is a petition, and I posted, embedded the petition in the front page of blacktalkradionetwork.com. In addition to signing it, I didn't, um, I wanted to word my own letter to the congressman because it, it, it goes by your zip code and they'll pull them up for you and send the letters for, for you. Um, but that should have been, there should have been a petition at the beginning. I wasn't on the planning committee or anything like that, but there should have already been a petition on August 21st, launched the same day that the strike um, that is targeting, um, you know, the entire federal government, Congress, the executive branch, um, but then uh, by name, those people who are sitting on these committees in Congress that oversee um, the prisons. So, again, just looking back and looking towards the future, things we could do better. Um, but um, certainly there's one up now. Um, so I'm not surprised they didn't hear about it because they get their news where most of the people get their news from, and that's the American-based cable news channels. And MediaMatters.org put out a report, and, I, and that's one of the stories I put in the planning page in btrcommunity.com, but I'll just read what they say, and it just backs up with what, you know, a lot of people don't know. Um, Tanya Free and them was telling me today they didn't know until they saw me posting about it on Facebook. So MediaMatters.org, I think it is uh, one of those outlets funded by George Soros. I'm not sure, but they've been around for quite some time. But this is what they had to say about cable news coverage of the national prison strike. Uh, cable news coverage of a national prison strike was pathetic. This is their words, not mine. For weeks, the major networks almost completely ignored MA stories and demands. Now, for those not familiar with um, Media Matters, they monitor the media. And they do come at it from a progressive, or I should say, really say liberal bin, if you know anything that George Soros funds. So they coming at it from that angle, but they monitor mostly conservative stations, but all the stations, cable news stations and other media, and they report on it. And, you know, they analyze it, give you a breakdown. So this is what they're saying about cable news coverage of the national prison strike. Inmates across 17 states went on strike beginning August 21st, protesting abysmal prison conditions, the revocation of inmates' rights, and exploitive labor requirements, among other issues. Inmates have few outlets to address grievances or abuses, so it's particularly important 
that media organizations dedicate time to explaining strikes and the circumstances that motivate them. Unfortunately, cable news failed to offer the latest prison strike, reportedly one of the largest in American history, anything close to appropriate coverage. A Media Matters study found that cable news covered the strike for just 10 and a half minutes in total. Now, again, this strike lasted, it started on August 21st, and it just ended a few days ago, uh, September the 9th. So this is what they're saying. Um, MSNBC covered the strike for less than eight minutes from August the 21st through September the 9th, while Fox coverage didn't even make it to three. CNN failed to mention the strike even once during that period, but they dosing you uh, plenty, you know, with a whole lot of other issues and a whole lot of different people, but they didn't give you uh, anything on this national prison strike. Um, I bet you that eight minutes, that might have been um, the entire segment that uh, Al Sharpton did on Politics Nation, which comes on early in the morning, 7 o'clock. I um, mean, excuse me, 8 a.m. on Sundays. He on, You know, he's only down to once per week. So uh, that might be MSNBC's entire eight minutes. I saw a clip today that I got from Media Matters where Chris Hayes, they were talking about Manafort and them Trump associates going to jail and being indicted in that whole whole fiasco. And then he mentions in passing that, you know, um, national prison strike is happening. So, I mean, you know, it's just disgusting. It is what it is um, to be expected from these, the corporate media. But I was particularly disgusted with black media as a black person who runs a black media organization. And we certainly have been, um, you know, vocal on the lack of coverage in black targeted uh, mainstream publications. Max, unless Otis, you know, the, I, I'm sorry uh, that was I, a long answer. I did want to make, uh, can you still hear me? Yes. I still wanted to make one other comment. Uh, the deputy director of the ACLU, uh, Udi Ofer, says that uh, they supported the prisoners' demands, and right now America is experiencing, experiencing one of the most extensive prison strikes in our nation's history. I did also want to give a shout-out to what you were saying. Soros did donate over a million dollars to Media, Matter, but Media uh, Matters, but it started from David Brock, who actually used to be a Republican operative, and then since their inception in about 2004, They've had over $30 million worth of donations from uh, labor organizations and National Education Association groups like that that are supposedly liberal liberal Democrats. So can you imagine what we could have done with $30 million since 2004? Well, maybe since 2008, since that's when we were created, but your point's well taken. But I do believe we have our guest, so Max, if you would like to reintroduce our guest, Thanks, Otis. Indeed. Once again, our guest is Leron Barton, and he's the author of several books and has written extensively as well as spoke on the issues of mass incarceration and racism. And he considers himself, uh, well, let's, he'll tell you what he considers himself, but he told me that he is very well versed on criminal justice reform. And in our four-part series, that is the third 
of the uh, different narratives that are vying control for control during the 2018 prison strike that we want to speak with people who are uh, knowledgeable about that on and find out what it is they're looking for, what they're trying to achieve, and what their goals are. Because usually uh, we all have quite a few things in common. So once more again, welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, Brother Leron. Uh, hello, uh, 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 hi Max, um, uh, Scotty. Uh, uh, it's been too long. Uh, how, uh, how are you guys doing today? Uh, good evening. Uh, doing the best I can. Exactly. We're, uh, um, I, uh, I totally yeah. understand. <laughs> so, um, um, sorry, what was that, Max? That you would like to add to uh, my introduction of you that you might want people to know. And uh, also, I'd like to for you to tell me about how you got involved with criminal justice reform. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, um, uh, uh, well, uh, my name is Leron L. Barton. Um, I'm a writer from Kansas City, Missouri. Um, I live in San Francisco, California. Um, I write essays concerning race, mass incarceration, gender, and politics. I've written two books, Straight Dope, a 360-degree look into American drug culture that asks the question, why is America so inundated with drugs? And also, my latest book, All We Really Need Is Love, Stories of Dating, Relationships, and Marriage. Uh, it just asks, how can you stay in love? Um, I, so... Um, for me, um, I'm sorry. Um, from uh, for me, Max and Scotty, um, I have always sort of been fascinated and been interested in in the criminal justice system and as far as how it impacts Black people as well as uh, as well as people um, up across the world for about ten about ten years. A lot of my first book, Straight Dope a 360 degree look into American drug culture talks about um, drugs in the prison system, uh, people who have been incarcerated, uh, addiction uh, in the prison system, and how that um, and how drug crimes feed the mass incarceration system, um, or as uh, or as Scotty Reed says, 21st century slavery. Um, I've written uh, essays uh, talk, talking about my my time um, in workshops at San, at San Quentin as far as uh, uh, continuing education in prison, as well as um, the myth of meritocracy and, 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 and also the uh, near inevitability that has young men going to, going to prison. So that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, brother. Uh, we put your website up on New Abolitionist Radio as well our planning page, so if anybody wants to pick up his book or follow his work, please go to those uh, sites and click the links. Here's a question Thank I have. Is, what is criminal justice reform? For me, criminal justice reform is, uh, is a two-phase uh, two uh, sort of statement. Uh, it's uh, well, first off, I don't think that we can reform um, the uh, the 21st century slavery mass mass incarceration system. I think that it has to be totally uprooted and also just abolished. But on the other end of that of, of that spectrum, it also is uh, dealing with the person who has been in, uh, incarcerated. What can we do to uh, to keep this person from not being 
um, a recidivist. That means uh, giving them a good foundation uh, uh, when they get released um, from uh, 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 from greater confinement. That uh, that means giving them opportunities for for a good paying job. You know, because I mean, you know, you all uh, you all know to be an, an American today, it costs money. So we have to give people the ability to gain skills to be able to have gainful employment. We have to um, give them a realistic chance and a realistic shot to stay out of the penitentiary. And I, and I think that that's, whenever we talk about criminal justice re- reform, I think that that's what we, a, a lot of us miss. It's like, yeah, like, you know, we could talk about Okay, let's uh, let's stem mass incarceration. I'm 100% for that, but how about acknowledging the people who are going to be released, who have served five, ten, fifteen, twenty years, and they're going to be sent out into the world that they don't recognize? So, what can we do to ease them into uh, into joining society? You, you know, I think I need to spill some beans in order to avoid confusion. Because you just stated, uh, although you're talking about criminal justice reform, you also would like to see them view this as slavery and act accordingly. And the reason for that is because Absolutely. when you began as a criminal justice reformist, you eventually started leaning towards abolition, specifically because of Black Talk Radio and Scotty Reed. Am I correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, um, so again, like um, I definitely give credit um, to Mr. Reed for, you know, essentially, you know, steering me away from mass incarceration, for from the term mass incarceration, from from the term Im- imprisonment, to just simply calling it 21st century slavery. Because I mean, that's what it is, right? You know, um, one thing that I've learned from listening to Mr. Reed's platform is that words have power, and that if we don't call it what it uh, what it is then we're doing a disservice to uh to to the problem and to how we can fix the issue well that sounds like a cue for scotty reed oh yeah i appreciate that uh we just had some little technical difficulties uh yeah greetings again to you leron I appreciate that because words do have power and why and why and I'm not saying uh, anything anybody had some kind of conspiracy to confuse the masses but the word mass incarceration is a little bit confusing and when you have a better word that more accurately describes what the problem is then why not use that and what greater authority than to use the 13th amendment itself. Because it calls it, you know, involuntary servitude and slavery, which means the same thing. So I guess for those that want to argue, then, you know, uh, they put both both terms in there. But that's what exists, and I appreciate you being open-minded enough to consider um, the proposition that we're dealing with a continuation of slavery. Um, I do do want to have a couple of questions now. You know, you mentioned um, abolishing. Now, I wasn't sure if you meant abolishing prisons or if you meant abolishing slavery specifically. And although we did this in our prior series, we have, you know, come to the conclusion, at least uh, Max has, and I'm in agreement, 
that there's negligible difference between prison slavery and slavery abolition. We're talking about the same thing. We're talking about abolishing slavery here in the United States via the 13th Amendment. It talks about duly conviction. So the only way you can get duly convicted is in not rightly convicted, you know, but duly convicted, meaning that we impanel 12 white people and I'm being, you know, a, a little facetious here, but it happened to my brother and it happens to a lot of people. But, you know, where we see these juries, um, you know, where uh, there's more than willing to send people into slavery over nonviolent victimless crimes, uh, right. not, not willing to vote not guilty and question, why am I sending this this person who may have a drug problem to prison slavery? Uh, we don't right. have a rehabilitation program for them. And and so, you know, the jury is often stacked against uh, non-white people. And so that's criminal justice. That needs to be reformed. But I'm with you in, in terms of abolishing the prisons as they are now. Um, think, of, if right. you will, about, picture this, if you guys will. Now, right now, Hurricane Florence coming, right? They say it's coming. So anyway, I'm sure the animal shelters, I don't know if anybody's ever been to a, a county animal shelter, um, but they have what's called, known as dog kennels, or they have cats, and they're usually on a concrete floor, you know, it's a hard floor, and they just had the basic necessities. We're, we're talking about cats and dogs, so we're talking about a bowl of water, a bowl of food, I don't know, maybe a blanket or something to lay on, but isn't that pretty much, you could use that to describe um, how we house prisoners. So I believe the prisons should be demolished and they should be more uh, resembling of college campuses with the opportunities and Absolutely. like you talked about, being able to get the skills and, and learning the social skills that some of them may not have or have some medical problems that make them anti-social. So, so yes, abolish the, the facilities as they are now because we're basically housing humans in kennels. I know I said a mouthful, but I toss it back to you, Mr. Barton. Um, sure, no. Like, um, so, I, so when we talk about abolishing, uh, uh, abolishing pr prisons, I, I mean, well, for me, I, I can only speak, speak, speak for myself. I, I, when I say that, I mean in terms of, you know, we need to think about just any nonviolent drug offender. Like, you know, I mean, people who are caught with a dime bag, you know, people who are, uh, people who are drug addicted, who are breaking into cars. I mean, there's no reason why these people should be in greater confinement. And taking it a, a, a step further, Max, um, 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 and Mr. Reed, it's like, why are these people on probation? Why are they on paper? You know, why do they have some type of ankle bracelet? I mean, when we talk about abolishing the prison system, we need to sort of look, sort of look at it. Not only the uh, the people who are confined uh, behind the walls, but also the people who are uh, who are on some type of uh, supervised, uh, you know, um, sort of supervised. Uh, I can't think of the word, but uh, confinement. Uh, we we need to um, to wipe all of these uh, all of these drug all of these drug these drug convictions. I, I mean, I don't think like there's got to be a way that. So let me see. How can I say this? I'm not for people imprisoning people who 
are doing livestock crimes, who are selling who are selling drugs, or who are committing petty I'm sorry, petty uh, petty offenses. I am for punishing uh, um, child molesters, people who are mass murder mass murderers, ar- arsonists, et cetera, et cetera, because there needs to be some type of of, of, of punishment. But the for me, I I think that uh, the the United States in particular the way that we look at prison it's it's punitive when we should actually be looking at it from a rehabilitative standpoint one of the uh, arguably the best quote in in my book straight straight dope is that this woman says that drug addicts are uh, are sick people so you don't so if a person is sick of cancer you don't put them in in jail do you so we so we have to look at it not from a punitive, not from a uh, you know pen, uh, penalization standpoint, but from a sort of let's 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 rehabilitate this uh, this person. You know, many times when people sell 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 drugs, when people are committing crimes like like that, that's because they feel that that they don't that they don't have any uh, any other options. You know, I, I uh, you know Scotty Reed, like you know you said this one uh, one one day and I and, and I never forget it you had said you know I don't I would never talk bad about someone who's who's selling drugs because I don't have a job to give them so I so again you know someone gets busted for pot if they're enjoying you know marijuana if they have a crack addiction instead of putting them in prisons I I agree you know uh, let's let's seek some for some form of alternative solution to that I mean, it's it's cheaper, <laughs> you know. You know what I mean? Like um, in in California, I, I believe today it's it's about sixty to seventy thousand dollars a year to imprison some someone. That's more than a college. Uh, the, um, I'm sorry, eighty six thousand. I know people that don't even make eighty six thousand dollars a year. So let's so so let's think about that. Like I'm I'm pretty sure. Let's just I'm just gonna throw. An, ar- an arbitrary num- number here. USC University of Southern California probably is about thirty, forty thousand dollars a year, right? Eighty six, eighty seven thousand dollars. That's that's over. That's that's double that. So I mean, the numbers are even in our are even in our favor for this. It's eleven thousand a year to educate a child in California, and eighty six thousand dollars a year to incarcerate that same child years later. Yeah, I, I mean, people look. You know, the only reason why that 21st century slavery is still up and going is because it feeds the beast. You know, there there's a reason why we have so many private prisons because more bodies equals more revenue. So I'm uh, so I mean, I, we need to question. Yes, sir. Question, and then I also want to offer a perspective for you, uh, for everyone. But the question I want to ask is this: At this point in time, are you a criminal justice reformist who is beginning to embrace abolitionist uh, ideology, or are you an abolitionist who remembers being a criminal justice reformist? Um, I, I would say I'm more of the former. I mean, look, let you know I. I also want to add that you know I have been subject to to granted confinement. Like I don't remember how many times I've been arrested 
and I've been uh, and I've been thrown in jail. So I'm talking about this from first from firsthand knowledge. You know, I I I know. I mean, I mean, I've never been to prison, but I've been to jail and I've been to county jail. So I know that as Edward Bunker wrote, these are animal factories. So we're, I mean, if, you know, if you, you know, if you look at it, Max, Max and Scotty, many schools in black communities are, uh, are dilapidated. They are not preparing our children for any type of uh, meaningful life. They're just essentially pushing them to the street life. Um, and you and I know, you know, um, all, all three of us know that the street life has a very short, uh, very short shelf life. So there's only so there's only two there there's only two pathways, the the prison or the graveyard. And if you go to prison, then more than likely you're uh, you're going to have a felony, so you're going to have an F on your grade card. So when you get out, you have no realistic job pro- job prospects you know max you and i we uh, we talked about this yesterday how kamala harris can advocate to have prisoners fight fires at two dollars a day um from what you told me but uh, but then will not support these men actually becoming firefighters because it will be a loss of labor so I would say that I'm a criminal justice re- reformist who is educating himself about and who is warming up to the idea of of abolishing prisons. Thank you. Uh, I would like to uh, also read the definition of criminal justice reform. Cause I found one that the Southern Poverty Law Center has and is also available on Wiki. And it says criminal justice reform in the United States refers to reform aimed at fixing perceived errors in the criminal justice system. Goals of organizing organizations spearheading the movement for criminal justice reform include decreasing the United States prison population, reducing prison sentences that are perceived to be too harsh and long, altering drug sentencing policy, policing reform, reduction of reducing overcriminalization, and juvenile justice reform. Criminal justice reform also targets reforming policies for those with criminal convictions that are receiving other consequences for food assistance programs outside of serving your time in prison. That's kind of a long definition. And earlier you said, I can only speak for myself. As a criminal justice reformist, those are the goals right there, according to the statements that are out. Any slavery abolitionist out there will tell you what we all agree on, that this is slavery and it's got to end and the people got to be free. You could add them all, and we all can speak to each other because those are our main goals. When we started this process of interviewing people from different uh, disciplines, we, I had uh, identified four, and that was prison slavery, abolition, uh, criminal justice reform, <clears throat> and uh, 13th Amendment slavery, and prison abolitionists. Now, since then, among these conversations, I can separate those into two different categories. Prison slavery abolitionists and slavery abolitionists think that this is a crime against humanity. We don't think it's a mistake when you're arresting people who are addicts instead of giving them help. We think that's part Surely. of the program. Uh, we, uh, so we, we believe this to be a crime against humanity. On the other side, prison abolitionists 
and criminal justice reformers see it as, quote, unquote, perceived errors in the criminal justice system. What do you think of that? Well, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think that most. I mean, well, I, I would like to think, in, in my opinion, most abolitionists. I mean, no, no one jumps off the porch and and is an abolitionist, right? It, it's sort of it. It's a uh, it. It takes time to it. It takes time to get to that route. Like you know, I I I I think that the criminal justice. Uh, re, Reformist def- definition is spot on. I I think that's what I've what I pretty much said. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I so slavery is a, a is is a crime against humanity. You know, with that being said, I mean we can't, there there's got to be some form of of punishment for uh, for people that uh, for people that that take another life, right? There has to be some form of punishment for people that molest children and rape and rape women see that you know hey max can can i jump in max yeah uh leron and i i agree but i disagree and let me again it calls it comes down to words all right so i my family has been victim of crimes violent crimes uncle murdered uh fourth cousin um, just a few, about a month or so ago, about three weeks ago, was murdered. Um, so I do agree that there needs to be a penalty. That penalty is loss of your freedom to walk these streets. But I, um, you mentioned rehabilitation. I don't. We should be trying to rehabilitate people who are quote unquote murderers, who are quote unquote rapists. Let's see what kind of help they need. Some of that psychological. Some of it is is people acting out on the abuse they suffered as children. So it's, it's so many, many factors. So, do, I mean, what's, what's punishment? Or do we want to rehabilitate them? Because even they are going to get out. And so so are, are we making sure that they're not, they're going in. And then, as you mentioned, some quoted somebody saying, you know, they're going to an animal factory, which my thought was, well, earlier I was talking about the human kennels. They treating them worse than animals. Or, you know, right. And, and so what what do you expect? So that has to be changed. Now, here's here's a simple question. Here's a simple question to bring you to the point of abolition or not being an abolitionist. Because I, I, I sure. agree, you know, there's, you can't be sitting on the fence when you face with something uh, that's concerning human rights. So listen. This is Absolutely. the Constitution of the United States of America, Amendment 13, Section 1. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. So my question is, should anybody be punished with slavery and involuntary servitude and it doesn't matter to me if we're talking not so-called nonviolent uh, offenses or we're talking about violent offenses. Should anybody be punished with slavery? Because if they get out and they're also, remember, they're in there and crimes happen because the police, you know, just allow them or the, or the you know, prison plantation um, slave keepers. You know, they, they allow them to... They, 
all the violence, all the rape that's going on in there. That's why men lead in rape statistics, if you want to count uh, prison rape, okay? So either you believe that neither slavery nor, either you think that slavery and involuntary servitude is appropriate as a punishment for crime, or either you believe rehabilitation should be the goal. Which well, are you? So, uh, uh, oh, um, okay, so that's a really good question. So, so let's just break. Let's just let's just separate a couple crimes here, right? So, I believe that you should not be locked up for nonviolent drug offenses. I just I, I I don't see how that's helping the community out. I don't, you know, I do believe that that if you rape or molest a person, yes, you know there should be some type of punishment. I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't think you should be on. I mean, I, I don't think this should be a slap on the wrist, Scotty uh, and, and Max. I mean, there. I think if you're in greater confinement, I wouldn't consider that a slap on the wrist. Right, uh, right, though. But at the same time, Scotty, like, we can't can't talk about... So if we're going to say we're going to abolish prisons, right? No, I I never say anything about abolishing prisons. Um, I said um, slavery. um, Okay, okay, so if you're saying that we're going to abolish slavery, period, right? So then... What type of punishment do we uh, do uh, do we do we dole out to uh, to people who violently sexually attack women? May, may I answer that question? Absolutely. That is the really big confusing part of this whole story. See, people were raping and murdering and stealing and, and everything you can imagine before the prisons were created to also include slavery. In the film 13th, that's the whole idea, that we went from slave to criminal with one amendment. And as Scotty had mentioned earlier today about uh, the black codes and the vagrancy laws, and even today when you listen to the reports and you hear that nearly 700,000 arrests for, for simple possession of marijuana, that's how these prisons are being filled. They are already have real people who did real crimes in them being treated humanely, and then in addition to that, you're sending in your tax evasions, your bags, your uh, jaywalkings, or whatever it may be, to fill these prisons up for profit. And it's left to us to decide who's in there as a slave and who's in there as a murderer. Right, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 that, I mean, you know, it just sure. seems to me, LeRon, if you could go back to our archives where we, they were the first interview in this series, and we spelled out the difference between prison abolition and slavery abolition. We're not saying, we're not saying as slavery abolitionists that people who rape, murder, violate any, another person's life, liberty, or property. You know, that let's just simply define crime as when one individual violates the life, liberty, or property against another individual. I agree. We want to call it punishment or we can call it rehabilitation. I think we should get in the mindset of rehabilitating people because, again, it goes along with the reformers' goals, okay? Uh, We're not going to put you into slavery. We're going to put you in a jobs program, okay? We're not going to put you... In, into slavery, uh, you assaulted someone, we're, we're going to take away your freedom, but we're going to make sure you get anger management 
uh, classes and work out any medical issues you might have from lead poisoning. Why do you have, seem to have violent tendencies? You know what I'm saying? Like healthcare, real healthcare, where you diagnose the, in, totally the individual background. So again, um, LaRon, is as simple as either slavery and involuntary servitude is still acceptable as punishment or is that you know something in itself that's inhumane that a so-called humane society uh is perpetrating upon human beings so it's just a, it's a matter of slavery versus rehabilitation which is what the reformists want right right absolutely okay uh brother ron uh Yes, yes, sir. If you want to reply to any of that, uh, you heard the perspectives. As I said, for me, I think the distinct difference that shapes our decisions of how we deal with this is one side sees this as a crime against humanity, and the other side sees it as perceived errors. And that is a very big difference in perspective. Well, it looks like we're coming to a commercial break, so let's take this and then we'll come back and you can follow up on that. You're listening to the video here at blacktalkradionetwork.com. We'll be right back after these messages. The Black Talk Media Project would like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. You are tuned in to the Black Talk Radio Network for podcast of life. The Black Talk Media Project funds the use of new media technology. My bad, Max. Go ahead. Uh, peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio. We're here with Leron Barton, and we're talking about cr criminal justice reform. And I just proposed to you earlier a distinction between the two groups uh, consisting of prison abolitionists and criminal justice reform who see this from what we have just read as a perceived uh, mistake that occurred, an error in judgment, and then prison slavery and 13th Amendment slavery, who see it as a crime against humanity. As uh, I said earlier, those are very clear and distinct differences that completely create the actions that you follow through with in order to make a difference. What uh, do you think of that? Uh, well, I I think that a lot of me, I, I think the general public doesn't uh, well, for starters, I don't think the general public quite sees prison as uh, as twenty as twenty first century slavery. I mean, I I think that the general public sees prison as just a place to you know put all the bad people in. 
And so when you talk about, we talk about uh, the abolition of, of, of slavery, you know, a lot of people look at, look at slavery as something that was, that was done, in, that was done in the past and, and that people who are in prison are there because they committed a crime and because they don't, they don't look at, at, uh, at prison of slavery because it's, it's not something that, that they were forced into. You, uh, you know, it's like the, uh, the common response would be, well, you know, they had a choice. You know, people don't realize that um, that your um, that your environment shapes your choices, and you know, shapes the options that that you current that you currently have. Uh, with that being said, like um, I definitely like a lot of what Mr. Reed, uh, as well as yourself, said about uh, about how we, you know, we can look at it as uh, as not imprisoning people, but, but, uh, but sort of putting them in, in anger management uh, classes, you know, treatment, you know, instead of, again, instead of being punitive, we can, uh, we can take it to another direction for it to be re rehabilitative, you know? Well, that's, there's a false narrative involved in that when, like you said that people did a crime and that's why they're in there. And over the course of seven years, we have uh, reported on at least 200,000 people who had nothing to do with it. For instance, the circumstances that happened out in uh, Massachusetts with Annie Dukin, who was personally responsible for over 60,000 people being falsely uh, charged with crimes. And that's just one instance. There were at least four other uh, she was the drug analyst, Max, just to give him context of who she was. Uh, she was falsifying uh, field drug tests from cops and substances that weren't, quote-unquote, illegal drugs. Um, she would mark them as positive, which led to the path to prison slavery. Max? Yeah, and she did that because there are 14 states that pay lab technicians extra money or the entire uh, lab office extra money for positive results and so she was charging she was making people guilty by falsifying their reports of alcohols and drugs so she could get extra money in her freaking pocket and she'd done it for 10 years and she was one of three in these 14 states that legally do this i'm just saying that okay. our reporting we are personally aware of at least a couple of hundred thousand people that had nothing to do with any crime and just ended up in a prison because of uh, the incentives to make money. Right. No, like um, I, uh, I definitely agree that you have that 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 there is an incentive to uh, to um, to imprison people. I, I I mentioned this earlier with uh, with the emergence of of private private prison. And uh, and just and just and just the cost, you know. I mean, people are. I mean, this is 21st century slavery. People are making money off of people being being incarcerated. Again, bringing up uh, Miss uh, Miss Harris's use of of prison labor to fight uh, to fight fires. I mean, if these gentlemen are getting paid two dollars a day versus, I don't know how much. A regular fire department would uh, would would get paid to fight to fight blazes. Upwards of sixty thousand you know. a year in California, and they're barred in California if they get out of prison, 
and don't die while they fighting them fires as prison slaves, um, they are barred from being employed in California as firefighters because of that felony Absolutely. slave status. So, Right, yeah, um, because of the F on the gray card. So, yeah, no, like, I, I definitely agree with you that there is an economic incentive to imprison people i mean and to get and to keep people locked up you know i there's you know people create products i mean uh in, in prison uh you know the tele you know telecommunication companies make money off of um off of uh off of prison phone calls as uh as well as you know contact between prisoners uh and um and their family members so there's many different there's many different industries in the um in the prison industrial complex. Okay, uh, I feel I mean, you on that. Get, uh, I want to open up the phone lines for everybody you know, else that may want to ask a question you know, as well. People create products. And before I, mean, I do, uh, I just in, have in one prison, quick one of my own. Uh, you know, uh, I've been asking this for everybody who's been a guest for the past three weeks. What is your main goal as a criminal justice reformist? Um, yeah. Uh, well, for me, uh, what um, as a writer my main goal is to write about the stories of people who have been incarcerated and and how they were able to successfully avoid uh, avoid recidivism you know i've uh, i've i've spoken to a couple men thus far and so what i wanted to do was i wanted to uh publish their stories so that if someone who is getting out someone who has recently got out if they can read their if if they can read their story then then that could then that can give them possible tips possible suggestions as well as as well as hope you know to say hey you know what this person was this person was down this long this person got out made it out maybe i can maybe i can implement some of their strategies to go uh, to go forward and and in addition uh max Scotty. I want to I want to highlight how tough it is for people to make it. You know, we don't understand that. Hell, like I I I spoke to this one gentleman. His name's Tony. He got out. They gave him like two hundred dollars gate money. Uh, you know, didn't didn't help didn't help find him a place. They just gave him a bus a, a bus ticket, two hundred dollars gate money. Hey man, here you go. Survive. How you supposed to get off? Uh, uh, how you supposed to live like that? You ain't got no job prospects. Family, maybe, maybe there, maybe not. You know, how are you supposed to become a functioning member of member of society when you don't even know how to work the phones? You dig? Hell, like you know, um, uh, when you went in, um, they was using pagers. Now they got uh, not a own iPhone ten. How are you supposed to work with technology like that? Well, so, actually, Leron and I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but you know uh, we're just a two hour program, and we have a caller. Did we ever pick up our caller? But real quick to your point, they are coming out with skills. Yes, they are coming out with skills. Um, the Unicor, which is managed by the federal government. Uh, offers services to businesses and you could buy stuff from textiles they put together uh, stuff for the military I'm talking about weaponry uh, electronics uh, they have call centers they're good you know they have a call center um, 
I used to work at one, you know, employs hundreds of people to do customer service over the phone, sitting in your cubicle. All right. Well, prisoners do that and they come out with these skills, but they aren't give. They have, as you call it, the F on their uh, report card. So that's intentional. That's intentional. I feel like in a society now, uh, corporations, they certainly could have affirmative action for felons if they wanted to choose as a company policy. Um uh, but as it is, as a society, the human, the individuals have been demonized so much is that, you know, we just, we think of them as nothing but criminals and animals, and they deserve to be in slavery instead of, you know, not being there in the first place. And if they violated someone else, uh, getting the type of help that they need so that if they eventually get out, they won't uh, reoffend. But Jenna, did did your call get picked up on Jenna out of Tennessee area? Uh, Jenna, uh, greetings, Scotty. Greetings, Scotty, Max, Mister uh, Barton. I, I just had two quick questions. Uh, when you came on here, I was wondering, did you have a specific? Uh, did you have a specific? Uh, Excuse me, I'm sorry. Did you have a specific reason? Meaning, did you was you trying to change the mind of the uh, of the people who was wanting to abolish slavery over to the prison reform? And if you had a chance to reform the prisons or the criminal justice system, excuse me, what would be your uh, your ideal way of handling what they have going on now? Thank you. Sure. Uh, well, so uh, that that's a really awesome question. Um, so I, the reason why that I decided to come on this this program is I'm I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, of what of what Max does. Of I have a lot of respect uh, uh, and admiration uh, for Mr. Reed. Um, my my whole idea is to not is to not try to change people's minds. Uh, uh, I'm just I'm just open for dialogue. You know I'm wanting to talk to uh talk to two gentlemen who who have uh who have been in the fight longer than I have. And to answer your question, uh what would I uh what uh, what would I change? Um I uh, I would change uh I would change quite a change quite a bit. Uh for uh for starters, I would not uh I would not allow felonies to be uh, 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 to debtor anyone from being hired. Um, inside, I would well. Let's start from the beginning. I would not uh, be locking up people who have drug problems. I would not be imprisoning people who uh, who are arrested for nonviolent drug offenses. Um, people who are people who have been in prison for uh for good for good stretches of time uh there there would there would be education programs that uh that teaches them skills to to have gainful employment after you know i i i think it's very important that when people are released from prison that they have um they have a foundation you know there's it's 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 inhumane for someone to be let out of prison with just two hundred with uh, with just two hundred dollars. I live in the Bay Area. That that gets you a mo a motel room for like what two for what like two two nights if if that then what then it's like you know you back on the streets. 
there would there would be massive drug uh, drug treatment problem like pro, like you know, like programs. I, I, I mean, there's there's so many things that we can do to to change this system. More family contact. Why like one of the things that we don't think about is that when someone's in, in prison, they're cut off from their family. Not uh, not just from the obvious reasons that they're locked up. But but they but but they can be miles and, and states away from their family, so I would make it to where it's easier family access. I I would uh, I would create pro, I would create programs that fosters that um, that that relationship that that um, that keeps that bond uh, between uh, between family members and those that and, and those that are incarcerated. Craig, that's an awesome question, and I appreciate your answer. And um, anyone else want to ask a question of our guest tonight, Brother Leron Barton? Scotty? All right, then. Uh, are you still there, Leron? Can you hear me? The only thing I can hear you, Max. The, the only uh, yes, thing. Sir. Yes, I am. The only thing I will ask Leron to do tonight is to print out the text of the 13th Amendment. It's only 47 words. And just sure. just meditate on what those words mean and then get back to me. Take it, uh, take as okay, long uh, as you uh, need. Uh, okay, definitely. Like, yeah, take um, as long I, as uh, you need. Can I have another opportunity uh, to come on the show? Oh, of course. It was going to be my suggestion that, you know, we cover every aspect of this system of slavery, every aspect over this past seven years, uh, many of them multiple times because they morph and shift. I mean, we've had our hand on the pulse of this, and we've been seeing it as a big picture for quite some time. Uh, which, So I, I would like to, first of all, to maybe listen to some of the archives or and certainly come in as a caller, if not a guest. Uh, so... We can learn together, you know what I mean? And I'd like to ask you two questions about current news. This is something yes, I've done for each one of our guests. One of the things that's happening recently is Vermont prisoners are about to be moved to a Mississippi-run prison, uh, a Mississippi prison run by Core Civic, okay? They're sending okay. 200 people from prison in Vermont to a private prison in Mississippi. Is that human trafficking? One hundred percent. That's human trafficking, which is, of course, a crime against humanity. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. And the other story is in Marinesco Township, they have recently retained an attorney to file an injunction about a prison closure. They're saying that it's going to cost this town sixty million dollars to lose this prison, and they are trying to stop that from happening. And they've already dedicated fifty thousand dollars to fighting to keep this prison there uh, in this township. How do you feel about that? Well, I I think that um I think that it's a I think that it's it's a shame that uh that a town or any city uh is dependent on a prison as one of as one of their their main sources of of jobs. I I mean that right there, I mean that's um uh, that kind of reminds me of uh, of something that Malcolm X said. He said, uh you know, if you uh if you find a capitalist, you'll find a racist, and, and if you find a capitalist, you will find a, 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 a bloodsucker. So, I mean, that right there, you know, the uh, the the city and state government 
needs to find some sort of some sort of industry to to take uh, to take its place. I mean the I mean if 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 we if we step if we step back and if we think about that we're fighting to imprison people to put food on our table like that's absolutely disgusting. Yes, I mean yes, there's just I mean there's I mean there's just I mean there's just no there's just no words and and and, and that's just and that's just lazy that's lazy racist government right there well, I mean we can't you know possibly try to get some other company to uh, to take its place um or uh um or or how about we actually uh change like use that prison structure and sort of sort of turn it into something else well um i think we are in agreement that the united states government is the uh entity in charge of running our prisons yes uh, yes correct? sir all right and you just said uh and this is not the first time you've mentioned it, but you clearly said that what Vermont is doing is human trafficking, which is a crime against humanity. And see, that's where that cognitive dissonance tends to come in for a lot of people, man, because you can't look at the monster that's running all of this and say, well, his toenail is a crime against humanity. And, and it's legal. You know, that's the whole tie-in to the 13th Amendment. It's, it's, they're getting away with it. Because it's legal, because they never abolished slavery. We the we are the less informed people who who don't know about the lies our teacher told us and Steven Spielberg and and many others. We actually believe slavery was abolished, so we don't see it. You know, we have a visual of slavery of let's just say Django, you know, ragtag, you know, clothing, barefoot, being dragged across, you know, the land in chains. Okay, it's 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 happening like that today, but but it's it's not to that visual extreme. Or you know, we we have all these videos of people being choked to death, being shot to death, children being killed. So the brutality is still there, um, and, and in the prisons. But Otis wanted to chime in because we have about seven minutes to our break. Uh, I don't know if Max is going to want to uh, skip some segments, but let's get Otis in here real quick. Otis? Oh, I, uh, thanks for giving me. I just wanted to say I appreciate uh, Laron's open-mindedness when he's talking, but I also wanted to tell him, since he's a writer, Scotty um, just had a gentleman on a couple months ago by the name of Christopher Scott. I gave you a link on your Facebook IM messages. You may be interested uh, yes, in, in reading about him because he was someone who was wrongly convicted, spent time in jail, and when he got out, he actually started in a detective service in Dallas, Texas, and he might be able to help you with some of your research. Great. Uh, um, uh, um, Otis, uh, uh, definitely thank you for that, um, and good to hear from you, and I really appreciate it. I echo his sentiments as well about you being open-minded. That was one of the first things I appreciated you in our, about you in our initial conversation. Thank you. Yeah. Um, listen, uh, um, uh, um, you guys. Thank you very much for the uh, for the chance uh, to uh, to come on the show. Unfortunately, um, I have to jump off the line. Um, can we uh, can we definitely uh, can continue this this conversation another day? Oh, absolutely. And before you go, is there any last comments that you would like to offer? And also, I will again uh, tell people to go to your website, which is leronbarton.com, and check them out there. Uh, no, you know, just uh, just. Just other than, uh, and I'm, I'm always hoping for dialogue. Like I, I, I highly recommend everyone to uh, to go to blacktalkradio.com. They have a 
they have they have a lot of one, uh, wonderful programs. Uh, one of my favorite podcasts uh, um, is the Cows. Uh, uh, Context of a uh, white supremacy uh, and uh, an amazing broad broadcast. Um, also, definitely check out uh, New Abolitionist Radio. I mean, I've I've learned a lot, and I'm and I'm continuing to uh, to up to evolve and uh, do whatever I can to uh, help help in this uh in this disgusting uh system we call 21st century slavery so thank you very much for having me on on online guys i really appreciate it thank you again Ron burton god bless all right good good night good night yes yes sir all right man uh that was an enlightening conversation I, i mean i've been learning a few things in these conversations that we've had over the past three weeks and uh one of them was today as i said when you can categorize, you can break up those two groups of four into just two, which is, you know, whether or not it's a crime against humanity. Well, and Max. I think also very telling that last part, you know, like where we can agree that this part of it is a crime against humanity, but it's the same people running it. <laughs> Scotty? Yeah, Max. So if you want to um, get in some of the news stories, it's not a whole lot, but if you want to. Uh, summarize some of those new headline news headlines that's in the planning group um and before we get to our regular segments on the other side of the break yeah i know what you mean uh, giving the quick headlines about stuff that they should know about uh always you can find this in our planning uh, page at uh btr community and also on our facebook uh page and uh you can check it out there and see all of these anyway here they are Number one uh, is South Carolina officials won't evacuate a medium security prison. So you got thousands of people right now on the coast who are in prisons that are not going to be evacuated during a period when there is mandatory evacuation for everyone else. Then uh, there was another story that came out from the Huffington Post, and it's about this mayor who bans the city's recreational facilities from buying Nikes. Now that's a mayor who is using his office for racist uh, objectives. And I think that is something that should be highlighted in national news. Then there was an article about a New Jersey congresswoman who uh, fully supports the prison, work, uh, the prison work strike and what it was all about. And she's working to advance their causes in Congress. Uh, I mentioned the Vermont prisoners who are being moved, but I also want to mention uh, that in Atlanta, they are moving to end their relationship with ICE and they're getting all of those prisoners out of their jails in Atlanta. And then, uh, I guess I'll leave it with these, this last one. The African Union ambassador calls for closer ties with the diasporas in America. And they're saying that we should form some kind, people of color, black people, uh, the diasporas, should form some kind of credit union or something to raise about a billion dollars to invest in Africa. And that will give us economic security. Because not only uh, do they want us to do it, but you know, China just, put 60 billion dollars into africa you know they just started building their own refined refineries for oil and things like that so they're really blowing up it might be a good idea yeah um i i have some thoughts on that article though um china's investing in the infrastructure but they don't own it that's part that's part of the deal um it's in partnership with those governments different nations in in africa but I was going to say this. They want us to open up a credit union. Um, now, I don't I don't agree with Antonio Moore 
uh, some of the things he says and some of his attitudes, but he's absolutely right in his research. A, a shout out to Sandy Darity as well. But um, African uh, descendants of victim of slavery and victims of white supremacy do not have that kind of money, do not have that kind of bank. Okay, we just simply don't have it. Um, are there individuals who have it? Sure. But the masses of us are living in poverty, dealing with 21st century slavery and human trafficking. That's certainly a drain on us um, financially, spiritually, economically. Uh, uh, I mean, everything that deals with slavery. So um, if they're going to make a connection, um, it has to be the grassroots. You know what I'm saying? They can't be talking to Kamala Harris thinking she talking to descendants of victims of slavery. She can't be talking to John Lewis, who has sold out his legacy as a young freedom fighter and become, a, um, you know, just a, cor- a corporate puppet um, who support, who, whose record shows he has supported uh, all types of legislation that has only strengthened slavery including police bills of rights and things of that nature, giving the slave catchers extraordinary rights. So they have to talk to grassroots people. They have to uh, raise the funds um, to get you out there while you're able to Africa, as Africans did, um, Ghanaians, I should, let me not say Africans, but Ghanaians have reached out uh, to us to help them build an abolitionist movement on the continent of Africa, but certainly in their country because they're seeing the same um, uh, passage of laws that, you know, has us in slavery over here in prisons. All right, so I'll leave it at that, Max. You know, I was talking to someone recently about this, you know, and I tend to try to think out of the box. And it's true that we may not have that kind of wealth, but we do have assets and we may not realize it. Just for instance, in the city of Chicago, they have the city had to pay out nearly $700 million in uh, lawsuits against uh, officers, uh, you know, improper conduct and things like that. That's $700 million just in Chicago that is an asset that is owed to X number of people. And we remember there was another $5.5 million. Yeah, 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 but I wouldn't call those assets. That's you document money that they taking from black people and making off of black people in the diaspora. Uh, those lawsuits are being paid by black taxpayers and what have you, as well as everybody else who's a U.S. citizen and pay pay taxes. So it's well, not really an asset. An asset in terms of this hurricane is this generator I got that if the power goes out for, for days as some have projected that I got a source of power that's an asset gold if I had some gold you know in case the uh, economy crashes or that's an asset okay so we really don't have assets we're spending money just to survive paying bills you know monthly bills I, I don't have to tell people out there struggling what I mean but Oh uh, yeah, Max. I, you want to go into the break and come back on the other side and continue the show or program? Sure. Uh, you're listening to New Abolitionist Radio on the Black Talk Radio Network. We'll be right back after these messages.
Okay. Black Talk Radio since 2008, providing new black media for the masses. And welcome back to this radio here on the Black Radio Network. Uh, Scotty Reed, I don't know how I feel about what you just did. Um, I offered a perspective, and you just shot it down, didn't ask me no questions, just said, no, I don't agree, let's go to commercial. Well, well, well uh, you, you looking at it as shooting you down, I'm just offering a perspective to that perspective. If if the police department is paying out seven hundred million to individual families for like let's say Laquan McDonald his his mother they offered her five million and told her um, you know sign a non disclosure agreement uh, with that five million so yes it's people with money but I'm ter- in terms of we're talking about what they're asking us to do they're asking us to invest in Africa. If we had that kind of money, I, I would like to think that we would invest right here. We need to take care of home before we can take care of somebody else. That don't mean that we can't establish ties and relationships. So it wasn't me a matter of me shooting you down. It's just we have different definitions of what an asset is. So, I mean, if you want to respond, uh, certainly you can respond to that. You ever heard of J.G. Wetworth? You know, people every day all over this country collect on debts owed to them before the debt is paid. That's considered assets. J.G. Wentworth makes millions and billions of dollars. Exactly that. So I was just saying, if we need a billion dollars, that type of money is actually available to be liquidated if we would act collectively. If it's just $700 million in Chicago, how much is it in L.A.? How much in New York? How much in Charleston? I mean, and on and on and on. You're talking about tens of billions of dollars. But are we, are, is that money being controlled by victims, or is it being controlled by the uh, oppressive of slavers? Who's controlling that money? If we're not in control of it, then even though it, it's coming from us, if we are not in control, it's not an asset. So I'm just trying to, you know, talk about real world applications for today. You know, I understand debts old in the future. We can call that reparations after we end slavery. But right now, we collectively don't have resources to invest in Africa when we should be investing in ending slavery right here. And think about all that stolen labor in the prison. I, I One of the videos... Uh, covering the strike, the guy just looked at the uh, financial sheet uh, called prison industry for California, and he was estimating just for the firefighters, which were brought up. You know, that's a hundred million in salary that they saving that they will have to hire civilian firefighters just use prison slave a hundred million a year. So that's stolen labor. That's stolen stolen resources. And well, those are assets. Our people are assets. We got to get them back. Okay. All right, so let's go into our final couple of segments here, which will be, of course, our abolitionists in profile and our riders of the 21st century underground railroad. Scotty, I put them both at the very top of our planning page. So uh, which one would you like to cover? 
Um, which one do you have ready? I, I'll let you choose. Sorry, Max, I'm changing in between screens. I was trying to get to the planning page and couldn't unmute myself. Um, so I'm pulling them up now, show previous comments. Um, I'll take the writer. You want to take the um, abolitionist? Yes, uh, okay. Uh, you want to go first or should I? I'll go first. So this is coming to you from WGNTV.com. These are our 21st century writers of the Underground Railroad. Two more men exonerated over public police misconduct after serving decades in prison. So these are, you know, two men who were duly convicted. Don't mean they were, and it's too many people in prison who were duly convicted but not guilty of a crime. Uh, convictions for two more men were vacated Monday after they successfully argued they were framed by Chicago police in the early 1990s, while a third man has filed a civil lawsuit against the city for his own wrongful conviction. Anthony Jason and Robert Butoh received a round of applause as they walked out of the courthouse Monday at the Cook County judges vacated their duly convictions. They spent 45 years in prison combined, serving their full sentences before being paroled. Their cases are just the latest examples of a slew of wrongful convictions costing taxpayers millions of dollars in settlements. And it's just the tip of the iceberg. Anthony Jakes was 15 years old when he was convicted in a 1991 murder that happened in in a back-of-the-yard sandwich shop. Jake's claims he was beaten into signing a false confession by the cops in that case. Detective Michael Keel and Kenneth Boudreaux, who were both trained by disgraced police commander John Burge. How did I know his name was going to come up? Oh, from reading and reporting. Oh, man. Shout out to Mark Clements, one of John Burge's victims. He served 22 years in prison before being paroled in 2013. The judge vacated his conviction declared him innocent on Monday. He said in order to move forward and make up for lost time, he might take a trip to Disney World. I wish my grandmother and my mother was here to celebrate this with me because they was my biggest, biggest supporters, Jake said. Robert Buto was also a teenager when he was convicted of a shooting death near Roosevelt High, High School in 1993. His attorney successfully argued Detective Ronaldo uh, Guevara Use false evidence in his case. So maybe had a, a Annie Dukins or somebody assisting him. Everybody is just like, say you did it. I'm like, no, I didn't do it, Buto said. Buto was paroled in 2016 after spending 23 years in prison. A judge vacated his conviction. But he was not a Monday, but he was not formally declared innocent as charges against him are still pending. Even if they were to try his case again, they likely won. He can't spend any more time in prison because he full served the full sentence. Yeah, but this will prevent him or wouldn't help him in terms of getting reparations for his enslavement, his wrongful. Well, all slavery is wrong, but for his duly conviction um, that was wrongful. Um, he says he can't wait for the day he's officially declared innocent because it's been very difficult to get a job. 
As he looks towards his future, he says he also has plans to get married in three weeks. While Budo's lawyer says his case is the 18th case that has unraveled because of false evidence presented by just one detective, Detective Guevara, another man who says he was framed by the officers filing a lawsuit against the uh, city. Thomas Sierra claims he spent 22 years in prison for a murder he didn't commit after he was framed by the same detective. Prosecutors dropped the charges against him at the eyewitnesses in the case said the whole thing was made up. So, see, they they even paying poor people in the community or facing other charges or under the threat of charges. Pay them to lie on you in court. Do, but you was duly convicted. This is not about one role actor. This is about a Chicago police department that allowed an actor like this to exist. Attorney Anand uh, Swaminthan said trial attorney Joe Lovey and others are calling on the state's attorney to file charges against Guevara saying at the very least he could be prosecuted for perjury see in, in a trial for violating of human rights crimes see it wouldn't just be prosecuting for lying about committing these human rights crimes you'd be prosecuted for those human rights crimes and, you know, as we report this story and welcome these uh, two men to freedom, uh, just think about Laquan McDonald's killer's trial, that cop up there. Max, you might remember his name. I don't. But they're picking the jury for his trial. Um, so, Max. Indeed, Scotty. Uh, I would like to say welcome to freedom to Anthony Jakes and Roberto Buto. Welcome to freedom, brother. All right. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is Will Willis Augustus Hodges, 1815-1890. Willis Augustus Hodges was born into a free black family on February 20th, County, Virginia. Both his parents were free as well as his grandmother. His grandfather was enslaved as were his parents. But since Hodges' parents were, as were their parents, but since Hodges' parents were free, he was born into freedom as well. Nonetheless, he lived more than half of his life in a state where the vast majority of African Americans were enslaved. Willis Hodges, a free black man, became an advocate for the enslaved blacks around him. He fought for just treatment of the enslaved and the small free black population of Virginia. In that regard, he became a rare black abolitionist living in a slave state. Hodges was also clandestinely messing up that word, a uh, conductor on the Underground Railroad, uh, helping slaves from further south pass through the area to the north. The Nat Turner Rebellion in Southampton County, Virginia in 1831 generated a re repressive backlash on enslaved and free blacks. The Virginia State Assembly imposed a number of restrictions, including the denial of voting rights to the small number of free blacks who met the property requirements for the franchise, Many of free blacks, fearful of further repression or even violent attack, moved out of state, including Willis Hodges and his family, who followed Brother William and settled in New York. Despite moving north, the Hodge family kept the family farm that was the boyhood home of Will William and Willis Hodges. Hodges intensified his abolitionist activities in his new home, Williamsburg, New York. He soon became one of the most outspoken black abolitionists in the state. By 1840, he ran his own newspaper, The Ram's Horn. The paper 
That paper and his other activities caught the attention of well-known abolitionists such as Frederick Douglass and John Brown, both of whom published articles in Hodges' paper and secretly helped fund it. In 1848, Hodges was a delegate from Williamsburg to the National Convention of Colored Men held in Troy, New York. He also criticized what he saw as the complacency of black northerners, particularly those in New York City. He blamed this in part on city life and urged black urban residents to settle on farms in the country. Even after the newspaper stopped publishing in 1846, Hodges continued to be a strong supporter of the abolitionist causes, including John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry in 1859. After the Civil War ended, Willis Hodges returned to Princess Anne County, Virginia, and became involved in Republican politics. In 1867, he was the first black man elected to office in that county when he was chosen to serve in the State Constitutional Convention of 1867 through 1868. He was later elected to the County Board of Supervisors, represent the Kempsville District. When the Democrats regained power, Hodges, in 1876, returned to New York. He married Sarah Ann Copru. Although the exact date of their marriage is unknown, the U.S. Census of 1870 listed his age as 55. Hers is 38, and they had three children, Augustus, 14, Victoria, 12, and Willis, 7. Willis Hodges died in 1890 in New York, although the exact time and place are unknown. But here today, we remember you, and we say salute to Brother Willis Augustus Hodges. Salute. Definitely an inspiring story. Somebody should make a documentary about him. Yes, there are so many we've read here who lives need to be told about because they they were warriors in every way you can imagine this fight against legalized slavery covered every aspect all right scotty we're about 12 minutes at the top of the hour uh did you have anything you want to cover before the night was over no just wanted to thank um tanya free and friends for having me on today to talk about the prison strike and um, just acknowledging that black folks been living in the information vacuum where, you know, we know what's going on with Nicki Minaj and Cardi B beefing well to each other, but we don't know that there's a prison strike against slavery. So I, I want, you know, always appreciate uh, those who have an outlet who allow the abolitionists uh, to get, you know, abolition out through those outlets. Um, of course, we want to thank uh, LeBron Barton for joining us tonight and being open-minded and being honest about uh, where where he's at in terms of his criminal justice slash or slavery abolition journey. All right, uh, I absolutely agree with you on that, Scotty. I appreciate his open-mindedness, and I'm glad he's open to converse further and to learn with us here as we study this system from the beginning to the end. Um, I guess then... Uh, what I'll do is I have something that I would like to read in regards to the prison work strike. Strike is over, but the fight continues. I want to thank everyone who organized, participated, and shared the news about, wrote about, stumped for, explained, talked about, risked their very lives to make this happen. For those of you who didn't, some things don't happen twice. You had your chance and you chose silence. For months to come, inmate organizers will suffer. Everyone around them, whether they did or not, will be punished as a group because, you know, that's how slavers do things, to pit us against each other. So stay vigilant for their sake. They went in knowing the risk, and they did it anyway, and God bless those brave souls. 
I also suspect it will be months before the full scale of the prison strike can be seen as information trickles out of prisons that went on full lockdown while claiming no one is striking. Um, what's next? Please support the voting right efforts in Florida and Colorado's Amendment A to remove the exception to slavery from the state constitution. Those are just two things. On the very last day, I was in contact with inmates at St. Bride's Prison in Virginia. They said they hadn't heard anything about it, but they would, in fact, participate in a work stoppage for that final day. So add them to the list, please, Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition. I'm proud to say I was privileged to be a national consultant from the start to the finish. Various groups internationally with different goals and agendas all work together to make this happen, and we are not even close to being done believe that. Salute. Uh, salute to our guests, to our callers, to Scotty Reed, to Black Talk Radio Network, and everybody that had a hand in this. God bless, and remember this. Abolition is a reason for a revolution, so we can finally know some peace. Peace. Rise up, 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 just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times, if it's time, rise up, rise up. When death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all rise up no matter if the prize is high in the skies or deep deep in perdition if our leaders are globally despised and always seem to rise through attrition or blatant nepotism if women and children have to live in impossible conditions 